Welcome to the Palm Harvest Podcast. We are a community in Costa Mesa, California. To know more about us, visit our website, palmharvest.com. To follow along with today's message, download the Palm Harvest app and click on Sermon Notes. Thank you for listening. tired of hearing me say this, but if you haven't downloaded our Palm Harvest app yet, please do so. And uh, if you've got it open, turn to the sermon note tab because you might find that useful. Lots of cool things that we're uh, adding to our, uh, to our app every week. Hopefully they'll help you grow in your relationship with the Lord. There's even an opportunity for us to give and support our ministry financially if you want to do that. And many of you are. So we're grateful for uh, this app and how it can be a tool for growing in our relationship with the Lord. Let's, um, let's pause one more time for a word of prayer. Would you do that with me? Um, I often do this, for those of you who know, I have a weekly uh, prayer and meditation podcast that Beto and I put in together. And one of the things that I do every week at the start of this prayer and meditation bro- podcast, if you listen, is we breathe. And so it's a good chance for us to kind of relax and center down. And so if you would right now, just take a deep breath and hold it. Inhale, and then exhale. You know, God's right here. He wants to meet you. One more time. Inhale, hold it. Exhale. Good. Now pray this in your heart. Heavenly Father, today I'm here to meet with you. I pray that you would meet with me. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. Good. Well, today we are going to unpack... A Bible story that I suspect will be familiar to to many of you. It's a story found in the Gospel of Luke. It it involves uh, an encounter between a dad and his son. And in in Luke chapter 15, we're told that Jesus is out preaching. He's on his uh, teaching ministry. He's interacting with a variety of people. When we're told in Luke 15 how a group of religious leaders, Pharisees and and whatnot, they begin to... uh, sort of critique Jesus. They criticize Jesus. They're really not happy with Jesus because he's fraternizing with what they call the despicable sinners of of that uh, that region. Any despicable sinners in the house saved by grace? Yeah. So Jesus is hanging out. He's fraternizing. He's eating with these religious outcasts and and these uh, religious elite. They come and they begin to criticize him. And so in response to their criticism, Jesus tells three stories. Uh, It's called the story or the parable of the lost uh, coin, the story of the lost sheep, and the story of the wayward or lost son. And really the big idea within each one of these three stories, in fact, we're going to unpack the last one. It's really, I think, more less about the, the story of the lost son and more about the loving father. It's really a parable about the loving father. But in all three of these stories, the lost son, the lost sheep, and the lost uh, coin, the big idea that Jesus reinforces, it's the same. And so for our conversation today, if you're taking notes, we're going to talk about that very same thing, and that is this, that Jesus actively pursues a relationship with me. Now personalize that, okay? 
So what Jesus wanted these religious elite to know in his three stories, and what I want you to look for specifically in our story today is how Jesus is actively pursuing a relationship with you and me. Church, I know that we talk about this all the time, but I think it's worth mentioning over and over again, and that's God, your heavenly Father, wants to have a relationship with you. God, my heavenly Father, wants to have a relationship with me, which is why he sent his son, Jesus, to earth, right? It's what we read about here in in the stories of Jesus' life is how in the Bible, how Jesus actively pursued relationship with, with people, particularly with those outside the church walls. Jesus was a, a master of pursuing those people who were looking for happiness, people who were lost, uh, not just you know physically, but also emotionally and spiritually, people who were really uh, f- trying to find freedom. What does freedom look like in, in their life? And yet what they found instead were they were enslaved, slavery to debt, right? We see that today. Slavery to pain and heartache. Slavery to loneliness, right? And so in this Bible story that we're going to read, and again, I think it'll probably be familiar to to many of you, I want you to invite, I really invite you to look for the truth which Jesus is trying to promote here is that he is actively pursuing a relationship with you and me. And so if you have your Bible, whether it's in paper or digital form, or if you just want to walk, look up on, on the screen here, turn to Luke chapter 15. And as I mentioned last week, you know, the great thing about our app, if, if you turn to the outline, you'll see the verses there. If you just click on the verses, it'll open up to a, a Bible app. It'll take you right to the verses as well. So Acts, uh, Luke chapter 15, let me go grab it here quick. I'm a little bit behind. And uh, I'm going to start reading at verse 1. Okay, so Luke chapter 15, verse 1. This is what we read. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Now let's stop there right now. Write this down, point number one. Jesus actively welcomes me. So the one thing I want us to remember today is that Jesus actively welcomes me. And we see that here in in this verse. And again, as I mentioned already, the Bible over and over and over and over and over again, when we look at the life of Jesus, it's reinforcing this truth that he is actively pursuing a relationship with you and me. And so again, let's so skip down to verse 11 now. So we're getting, we skip over the coin, we skip over the sheep, and let's go down to verse 11 where it deals with people. So to illustrate this point, Jesus told them the story. He said, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, A great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to a census, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, 
and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son, please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Let's stop here. Write this down, point number two in your notes. Jesus actively waits for me. Jesus actively waits for me. You know, can you picture the scene in your mind? You know, maybe put yourself in this father's sandals. You know, your child comes to you. They ask you for uh, his or her inheritance. You know, they haven't worked for it. They don't really deserve it. But somehow they believe that, that, that they do. Uh, somehow they believe that what you have worked for and what you have saved for somehow is now theirs. I think it's a perfect example, really the ultimate example of what we would call entitlement. Would you agree with that? You know, in Jesus' days, such a request from a child would be equivalent to that child saying, uh, Dad, I wish you were dead, basically. I wish you were gone. And, and, this, and this son's really his, his request, not just in his day, but even in our day, but particularly in, in Jesus's day, was a tremendous insult against his father. I think from a social perspective, when Jesus told this story, the, 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 the audience, both the riffraff and the religious elite, probably just kind of went, oh, they gasped. How could such a son make such a terrible request? In fact, Besides the, the, the father having the right, the religious and the social right, to sort of cast off his, his boy without restraint, if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 21, the religious law of that day says that he could even have had the community stone him for such a request, kill him for such a terrible ask. But we're told here, which I suspect was likely a surprise to Jesus' audience, is that the boy's father, he does what? He acquiesces to his son's request, doesn't he? And after leaving home, we're told, or Jesus tells us, and after squandering his, his father's wealth, the boy's fortunes dry up, and suddenly he realizes at that point that he had made a what? He had made a mistake, right? But he had been trained well. You know, the Bible says train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they'll come back to it, or run out of money, they'll come back to it. And so he, he comes to his senses, and he realizes, oh my gosh, what, what am I going to do? And in this story, Jesus describes how the son does what? He goes, he goes home, doesn't he? He prepares him a speech. He's going to give his dad a speech. Uh, he's really set on humbling himself, which reinforces the truth that he's sort of come to his senses. He hasn't lost everything in his misfortune. He's going to go home. He's going to throw himself before his dad. He's going to beg for his father's confession or compassion and ask to be hired on as a, a servant. But before he can even open his mouth, what are we told here? While he is still a long way off, Jesus says what? The father responds how? The father ran to his son, didn't he? I picture in my mind him hoisting up his royal robe, whatever he was wearing in his opulent wealth and home. And the Bible says he ran. Jesus says he lo basically lowered his standard because in that, in that status, in, in that culture, men didn't run, particularly if you were old. But Jesus says not only did this dad run and run to his boy, 
But then when they're in close proximity, close enough for the dad to give him his fist right in the face, what's he do? Says he embraced him, right? Rather than pour out his wrath upon his wayward child, the father instead kisses him. Can you picture that reunion in your mind? Maybe feel the emotion of this family encounter? The boy was expecting little from his dad, wasn't he? This youngest son was hoping that maybe his dad would at least give him a job. But before he can open his mouth, before he can start his speech, dad lovingly embraces him, welcomes him home. And I suggest that the message that Jesus communicates blows the mind of his audience. But you know, the message that Jesus was communicating to his audience is the message to you and me that no matter what my sin is, personalize this, no matter what your sin is, no matter how long it's been since you've been in fellowship with God, Jesus actively waits for us. Jesus actively waits for us. Look again at what happens next. Let's go back to verse 21. Verse 21. So his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Why would he give him a ring? You know why, right? Why give the son a ring? That's the, with your ring, you would, that's when you would, how you would complete what documents, right? When you would buy a purchase or something, you would have that signet ring and you would, that was basically his dad was saying, no, he has authority to make decisions for, for the family estate. So give him a ring, put sandals on his feet. And this is really where we're going to land. Verse 23 and kill the calf. We have been fattening, kill the calf that we have been fattening church. What does this calf fattening directive suggest about the father in our story? I propose it suggests that the father's been waiting for his son to come home, has he not? The father has been preparing for his boy to come home, his youngest to return, and when he comes home, what's he going to do? He's going to throw a party. That's why you fatten a calf. That's why you get the things ready, because the father realized and he hoped that his son would return home, and when he would, he was going to have a party. He was going to put it in the works. So let's keep reading verse 22. So the father said again, quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with the feast. Verse 24. For the son of mine was dead and now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. So the party began. Point number three. Jesus actively prepares for my return. Jesus actively prepares for your and my return. You know, church, in this story, Jesus wanted his listeners to know, he wants you and me to know, that no matter what sin we've committed, no matter what my sin is, no matter how far away from God I have wandered, what Jesus wanted his audience to know, what he wants you and me to know, is that when I return back to the Father, 
he will welcome me with open arms. He will welcome you with open arms. Is that a message anybody needs to hear today? Turn to your neighbor and say, God has not given up on you. No, God's not given up on you. God's not given, given up on me. And guess what? The people in your life who you love, those people in your life who you're concerned about, God's not given up on them either. And he's waiting and he's preparing and he's ready. So when they come back, when you and I come back, he's going, let's party. Jesus actively prepares for my return. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all of you who are heavy, weary, and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Anybody need a dose of the Father's love today? Let's pray another prayer, okay? If you can, put your palms open. Let's take another deep breath. Inhale. Hold it. Now exhale. Again, God's right here with us. He wants to meet with you and me. One more deep breath. Inhale. Hold it. Now exhale. Now pray this. Say, Heavenly Father, please forgive me when I stray from you. Thank you for unconditionally loving me. Somebody say amen to that. God unconditionally loves you and me. Good. Let's just keep reading verse 25. Verse 25. This is where it gets interesting. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. You know where this is going, right? When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he was asked one, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Well, your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. Now, whose calf did the father kill? The older son's calf, really. I mean, if you want to use the, if the gods, if the dad's given up the, you know, the goods and the younger son has gotten all of his goods, guess whose son, whose older calf or calf just got killed? My calf, the older son's calf. He says, your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. And so verse 28, the older brother was angry and he wouldn't go in. Can you relate to that at all? His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years, Dad, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. In all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Now think about this. Who's Jesus talking to here? He's talking to the religious elite, the people who are doing it right, the people who are following all the right things and doing all the right stuff. And they're saying, we love God more than you do. How do you, how do you know that? Because look at what we're doing. Look at how we're living. Look at all the, the, the right stuff we are, our life are filled with. And Jesus blows their minds going, you know what? God loves the sinner too. He said, yeah, son, I know. I recognize you that. But then he says, verse 30, he says, yeah, when this son of yours comes back, such a judgmental but yet accurate perspective. 
He said, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Point number four. Jesus actively defends me. Jesus actively defends me. You know, it's interesting to consider really the father's description of this, this wayward son in verse 32. You know, the older brother is upset, and rightly so. The younger brother has likely brought shame to the family's name. The, the younger brother has dishonorably, really irresponsibly dishonored everything in their household. Undoubtedly, the community was talking or would have been in Jesus' story. But rather than be upset and rather than make this young man suffer in his poor decision, Jesus says that the father instead celebrates and actively defends his son. He says, my son, your brother, was dead, but now he's what? Now he's alive. He was lost, but now he is found. And basically what Jesus was telling his listeners, what he's telling you and me, really what this father was telling his older son, if we stay in the, in the, 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 you know, the context of the story, he's going, now's not the time for punishment, boy. Now's not the time for retribution. Rather, today is the day for celebration. That today is the day for rejoicing. And in this story, Jesus wanted his critics to know, that, and Jesus wants you and I to know, that he is actively pursuing a relationship with you. He's actively pursuing a relationship with me. And again, for those of you who have the loved one, a favorite aunt, a favorite uncle, a son, a daughter, a neighbor, a coworker, a friend, who maybe not be pursuing God right now, that maybe be living the, the wayward life, let the truth of this, this message and the hope of it sink deep into your heart that Jesus is actively waiting for them and he's pursuing them. You know, in the book of Hebrews chapter 7, we can read how Jesus is at the right hand of the Father petitioning for us. Jesus is interceding for you. You ever think about that? That right now, Jesus is at the Father's right hand going, Hey, hey God, uh, could you lift up uh, Karen and Bryce? They're in a bit of a transition right now. Hey, 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 God, could you, could you lift up Kirk? He just had hip, hip replacement surgery, and, he, and he, he's walking funny, can, can, you know? And Brett, too. You know, God is, if God's interested in, in Brett and Kirk's hip, don't you think he's more interested in our lives? Yes, that's what the story's all about. Jesus is actively interceding on our behalf. Jesus is actively defending us, just as the father in this Bible story defended his son. You know, brothers and sisters, the Bible teaches us that the devil accuses. 
The devil loves to drag us down. The devil loves to pile on after we have fallen. But Jesus defends us. Jesus actively pursues us. And Jesus, in his story, wanted his listeners to know, he wants you and I to know that God the Father loves us. That he values us. And God the Father, this is an amazing thing about God, is that he willfully chooses, willfully chooses to overlook our tendencies, right? Our wayward tendencies and eagerly invites us and longs for us to return. And when we do, he doesn't give us condemnation. God doesn't give us the back of his hand. No, the Father celebrates our return. He celebrates our resurrection. You know, the world promises us freedom, doesn't it? But many times when we pursue the world, it only leads to slavery. But the good news of, of this story that Jesus wanted his listeners to know, and the reason why we're bringing it up today, again, is that Jesus is in the chain-breaking business, isn't he? Listen, I don't, brothers and sisters, I don't know what chains enslave you. I don't know what things try to, to pull you down, so to speak. I don't know what chains are trying to enslave the ones that you love, but what I do know and what I've learned firsthand in my own life, and I suspect many of you have too, is that Jesus actively is pursuing a relationship with you and me. And so today we're going to simply celebrate that truth in communion. You know, the first Sunday of every month, which is today, we like to gather together. And in Jesus's, you know, before going to the cross, he, he grabbed these elements. And really, the communion is a, a simple visual reminder of the fact that Jesus is actively pursuing us. You know, if you were to reevaluate your life this past week, have you, on the sin, holiness, let's say holiness is up here and sin is here, how'd, how'd you fare? Right? You're like, up here, you like it. You know, it doesn't matter. I mean, it matters. But ultimately, Jesus says, you're here. Well done. I'm pursuing you. You're obviously pursuing me. Let's celebrate. Let's throw a party. And so today, as we celebrate communion, which is, a, you know, the, the bread and the, and, and the cup, the, the cracker and the juice. We serve juice because some people might have an issue with alcohol, right? We don't want to cause anybody to stumble. But as you celebrate the bread and you think about Jesus' life and his call to love, he really hit how he modeled for us. Jesus not only wants us to be, know that we are loved, but he also calls us to love other people too. So who are the unlovables in your life? Do you have anybody like that? As we celebrate communion today, I want to encourage you to, as we're waiting for one another, we'll take communion together. I want you to do two things. I want you to spend some time in prayer and say, Lord, where do I need to ask for forgiveness? Where have you been wayward? Where have you allowed the world to maybe take priority in your life? You know, yesterday I watched probably five hours straight of basketball, NCAA basketball. It's the only thing I really do love. I spent more time watching TV than I did reading the Bible. You think God has a problem with that? Maybe. Not in March. Not in March. <laughs> Even God watches March Madness. 
Amen to that. But you get the point, right? We make choices every single day. And God's just going, you know what? You're, you're, you're making time for me today. You're, you're making a priority. Well done. But think about that. As we take communion, say, Lord, I want to live better. I want to be less judgmental. I want to be more loving to my neighbors. I want to have more space in my life. Whatever it might be. If there's a place where you need to ask God for forgiveness, in this communion time, Rick and Nancy, if you guys go get ready with communion at the back there, that would be great. David's going to come up. I invite you to just spend some time in reflecting and say, Lord, please forgive me. And then also as you hold those elements and as you, as you look at the bread and you look at the cup, which represents Jesus' blood on the cross for our forgiveness of our sins, just pray the prayer, thank you, Jesus, for loving me. And I, I, I often pray this prayer, maybe you do too, Lord, increase my capacity to live more like Jesus. Right? Increase my capacity to love more like Jesus. So let's pray this prayer together. And then we'll take communion. Just say this. Say, Jesus, I'm coming home. Jesus, I'm here today. I'm in here to meet with you. Thank you for meeting me. I'm coming home. Please forgive me. Friends, Jesus is in the forgiveness business. And not only does he forgive me, and not only does he forgive you, but here's the hard part about maybe Christianity is he calls us to forgive others. So again, as you, as you, as you get up here in a moment and you, and you grab your elements and, and you go back to sit down and then we'll wait and I'll wait us in taking communion together. Is there someone in your life who you need to forgive? Is there someone in your life who, who maybe you just you know, want to be a little bit like the older son too and just go, you know, Lord, he deserves this or she deserves that. Would you dare to just say, Lord, please forgive me and please help me to forgive them? Jesus, I'm coming home. Please pour out yourself upon me today. That's our prayer today. So as you feel ready, if you feel comfortable, go to the back. Rick and Nancy are there to serve us, receive our communion, and then we'll, we'll take it together. Thank you for listening to the Palm Harvest podcast. We would love to get to know you. So download the Palm Harvest app for free and fill out our connection card. Your continued support helps us spread hope around the world. You can also give in our app and find out more about our community.